And now we come to the lesson for this morning, this first Sunday of Advent. It comes to us from the Old Testament, from the prophet Isaiah, the 64th chapter. Listen now for God's word to you today. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now, consider, we are all your people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we pray that you will grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world as best we can this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, those are some pretty harsh words we get this morning from the prophet Isaiah. Kind of hard to stomach this Sunday after Thanksgiving when we're all trying desperately to get into some semblance of a holiday spirit. But even so, millions of Christians all over this world are hearing those very same words this morning because they're the Old Testament lesson in the common lectionary, that is the the list of weekly scripture readings that churches around the world use each Sunday morning. But even if those words are tough to hear, I think they're also really appropriate for today, the first Sunday of Advent. We still have four weeks to go before we get to Christmas, and whatever that might mean in terms of shopping days, what it means for us as Christians is that we have time right now to get ready. We have time to get ready. We are getting ready for a birth, of course, the birth of Jesus, which we celebrate at Christmas. And just like any other time that you're expecting, when you're expecting a child to be born, there's some, ex- there's some excitement, expectation about what's about to happen. But there's also, as any parent knows, a whole lot of work you have to do to prepare and plenty of time to just wait for the big day to arrive. And so that's what Advent is. It's a time for us as Christians to prepare and to wait, to make room in our own hearts to welcome Jesus and to remember and take time to reflect on why we need Jesus in the first place. And this year, The need could not be clearer. I mean, talk about waiting. I 
probably you too. I just can't wait for 2020 to be over. Can't wait to move on, to move into something better than this, because this has truly been an awful year in so many ways. Can't wait to move on. And it would be really great if somebody really strong, really good would come down here and do something to set things right. Well, that brings us to the prophet, the prophet Isaiah. He was prophesying and his words were being recorded at various times, but basically it's 2,500 years ago, and the people of Israel had just come back to Jerusalem after spending about a century in exile in Babylon, the Babylonian exile. And they come, and once the initial euphoria wears off, they realize that the holy city is a holy mess. It's in ruins. It's been left for a century. They have a lot of rebuilding to do, and they don't have a lot of energy to do it. And there's tons of conflict raging between various factions of people, each side blaming the other side for all the problems that they're facing. Sound familiar? Well, indeed it is. And so the prophet pleads with Almighty God to tear open the heavens and come down, just as you did in the days of Abraham and Moses and David. Save us now. But just then, just when they need God to show up the most, God's absent. Now, I'll imagine that some of you kind of have a sense of what that's like. You know, something really tough, really hard has happened in your life or in the life of somebody you love, and you hope and you pray fervently for God to intervene, God to come down for some resolution or some justice or some healing, but nothing happens. So maybe it's kind of surprising that somebody in the Bible, Isaiah, knows what it's like too. I mean, after all, if you look at the Bible, you remember all these Bible stories, it just kind of seems like all the time, God just shows up whenever needed, right? We constantly hear, God did this, God did that. God talked to Adam and Eve in the garden, and God instructed Noah in excruciating detail how to build the ark. God flooded Pharaoh's army. He talked to Moses out of a burning bush on Mount Sinai. He tore down the walls of Jericho, and he met Paul on the road to Damascus. I mean, if God was always coming down to you and me like that, in a burning bush or a blinding flash, don't you think that faith would be a whole lot easier? Of course it would. But in my experience, God doesn't usually come across or come down like that. More often than not, God shows up and appears to us in shadows rather than light, in whispers and not shouts. Of course, that doesn't stop and never has stopped people from trying the best they can to force God's hand, to force God to show up. But as Tom Wright, a biblical scholar and priest, reminds us, trying to pin God down is like a person 
who takes out a flashlight on a dark night and points it up to the sky to see if they can find the sun. It just doesn't work like that. The sun is going to do what the sun's going to do, whether or not you point a light at it. And that's how God is too, in so many ways. And a lot of the time, all you can do is wait and do the best you can to get ready. You know, this year marks the 10th anniversary of an incredible event. One of those most moving, amazing things I can ever remember in my whole lifetime. In August 2010, 33 miners were trapped underground after a cave-in at the San Jose copper mine in northern Chile. And they were down there, down there in the dark, for 69 days. Now, of course, their first response to this calamity was to try to find a way out. So Mario Sepulveda, whose nickname, of course, was Super Mario, he searched for days for a way out for an escape route with nothing but a flashlight on his miner's helmet. But he couldn't find a way out. There was no escape. So he came back and he told the guys in the mine, and they realized two things right away. First of all, this diverse group of hard-nosed, rugged individuals were going to have to figure out some way to survive together. And second, they had to rely on somebody else to come down and save them. All they had to sustain them were a few barrels of really murky water that had been used in the mining operation. It was barely drinkable, but they drank it. And they had a few bags of cookies and cans of fruit that had been stored. But despite all they lacked, they did come together. And they managed to develop a sort of subterranean democracy where they shared decision-making and they came together in consensus and mutual care. And they relied on prayer, a whole lot of prayer. One of the miners was a lay Pentecostal pastor, I'm sorry, a preacher, and his name was uh, Jose Henriquez. And he organized these 33 Catholics and Protestants and atheists and agnostics into a kind of a church. And they would gather twice a day for a time of prayer to get together. And in the words of Pastor Jose that echo Isaiah, he prayed this, Jesus Christ, our Lord, let us enter the sacred throne of your grace. Consider this moment of difficulty of ours. We are sinners and we need you. There's nothing we can humanly do without your help. We need you to take charge. So please, Lord, take charge of this. And words like that calmed the miners. And they were a reminder that the ultimate salvation that they could expect was not in their own hands. But even so, in the meantime, in their difficulty, their crisis, they could do something. They could encourage and take care of each other. They could seek forgiveness and 
receive forgiveness and give forgiveness to others, and they could listen quietly for a sound coming from above. And then one day, after sharing a meager meal, they heard it. They heard it, the barely perceptible sound of a, of a drill that was coming down from above. They didn't even know what direction it was coming from. And it took weeks before the first drill got all the way through to reach them. And then it took another month before a rescue cap- capsule called the Phoenix could be lowered and then raise the miners to the surface one by one. And they all got out alive. And when it was all over, they got the chance to tell their story. It's even in a book and a movie about it. And their words echoed something that the prophet Isaiah said. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quiet and trust shall be your strength. You know, I used to carry that verse around with me on a little piece of paper in my wallet, Isaiah 30, 15. And I pull it out and read it whenever I was facing a time of stress. In returning and rest, I shall be saved. And in quiet and trust shall be my strength. And somehow those words would calm me down get my attention back onto the presence, the promise of God in the midst of all the noise. And then the prophet also says this, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider... We are all your people. In other words, no no matter how angry or absent or delayed God seems to be right now when we could so desperately need some divine intervention, at the very same time, like a potter, God our Father is shaping, shaping us and strengthening us and preparing us to be saved. Our job is to wait and to do whatever we can in the meantime to pay attention, to love, and to take care of each other. For as it says in the Jewish Talmud, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You're not obligated to complete the work of salvation, but neither are you free to abandon it. You know, this Advent season, as we wait for the coming of Christ at a time that seems so full of crisis, it's easy for us to lose focus on what's important and to get all caught up in all the news of calamity and all the anxiety and all the angst and all the controversy that's swirling around us. But our God calls us to focus on two things over the next four weeks. And that's this, to wait patiently 
and to prepare ourselves faithfully to receive and to reflect the light of God in Jesus Christ. There are lots of ways you can do this. Um, you can set aside a time each day to, to pray or light a candle on an Advent wreath or somewhere else with your family or by yourself or with us in worship uh, today or in the next three weeks as we light an Advent candle here in the sanctuary. Or you could reach out and find a way to help somebody who's in desperate need, especially this year, which is really hard for so many people this time of year. And there's some really good resources and ways you can help out tangibly uh, that you can find in our newsletter, The Messenger, or on our website, piedmontchurch.org. So I encourage you to check it out. And as we wait for a COVID vaccine, you can also do all you can to keep yourself and other people safe. And I know from personal experience, it can sometimes feel like a sacrifice or a pain to be constantly thinking about this and that. But I gotta tell you, not getting someone you love sick could be one of the best gifts you could give this Christmas. You know, with all the bad stuff going on right now, it is totally natural for us to want to escape or have God come down like some celestial superhero to save us from all the illness and all the insanity. But as the prophet Isaiah says, God acts on behalf of those who wait. So as we enter the season of Advent, I invite you to wait patiently, to act faithfully, and to listen attentively for the glad tidings of the one who is coming. For as we sing each year on this day, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. And he's going to come to us too. You can be sure of that, just as he did so long ago. So whenever and wherever you are, Whenever we gather, in whatever way, I want you to know that God is on the way. In fact, he's already here in Jesus Christ. I invite you now to join me as we close in prayer together. We're going to be saying together the words of the prayer of thanksgiving that is printed on your screen. Holy and gracious God, we come to you today as your people. We offer to you what we can in anticipation of your coming again to this earth. You give us so much, and we give you so little. Yet you are gracious to bless what we can give. So accept the gifts we offer today and transform them into the work of your reign on this earth as we make ready for the newborn Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, as we come to an end of this worship service on this first Sunday in the season of Advent, I hope and pray you take with you whatever sense you've received of God's love and mercy and grace, and that you're ready to get ready, to wait, 
but to prepare for the coming of Christ in your own lives. And when he comes to you, that you'll share that presence with others. And as we leave this time together, this time of worship, I hope and pray that you'll take with you the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit, that you'll receive it now and that it will last forever. Amen.